bless you are nervous, thank you for being seated. I will cut and paste from my message, but I felt like, you know, as a spiritual family, um, sometimes there's a rhythm of something that is probably more important than listening to an old guy up on the platform. So I felt like that was pretty important. I said something that may just, trying to take this and transition to what I'm going to say, um, you know, the friend of mine was speaking with me, and, and I'm sure all of you uh, deal with crisis all the time. I don't know of a period of my life in decades that I haven't been either entering a crisis, in the middle of a crisis, or exiting a crisis with a small sliver of a sweet frame of my life to only enter into a, another crisis and get in the middle of a crisis and exit a crisis. How many of you that that describes the rhythm of your life. That is the rhythm of reality. Jesus said in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus puts at every intersection of crisis his kingdom, and that means he's got people of the kingdom. The kingdom is not some warm and fuzzy thing that exists beyond the church. The kingdom is what comes out of the church, and yes, God sovereignly can do anything he wants without any of us. How many of you have figured that out at least yet. That's why his name is G-O-D, and we are not. He is all power. He is all power. But oddly enough, in the entirety of the world, I asked my professor at the university, you know, going to the academic thing, and they were talking about, you know, why the church is not the kingdom, going into all these theological things. And I stood up and I said, I want to ask one question. Can the kingdom of God be expanded without the church? And it went silent. And he said, no. I said, then I don't even care about this conversation. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus came. And he was born of a virgin. And he lived a perfect life. And he died the death that you and I should have died to redeem all of mankind. And he was put in a real grave with his dead body. And he was raised on the third day, and that made up the substance of this man named Peter's first sermon in church history found in the book of Acts. And when he preached that to thousands of people, the Bible says something profound. It says they were cut to the heart. That word simply means this, that those words that came out of his mouth, that apostolic preaching that came out of his mouth, cut through the very volative part of the human soul. It cut through their self-worship. It cut through the problems in their marriage and with those weird children that they had that are demon-possessed. And it, it cut through all the poverty and sickness and the, the plagues that were going on in Rome. It cut through all the way to their very soul. They were cut to the heart. And all of a sudden, this the, the, the scales that were over their eyes when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ were removed, and they shouted, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent and turn towards God, meaning this, quit being the Lord of your own life and designing your own religion and turn and follow me with your whole soul and your whole life. Become a Jesus freak at the core. And you'll be saved. 
Now, I'm sure Rome was, listen, think about all the bragging the Old Testament did about this dude coming named Jesus. You ever met a bragger? My son-in-law, one of my son-in-law's trains basketball players, NBA and all these players. And so he, his passion are these hundreds of kids that he upskills. And so he has braggers as kids. You know how a kid will come in and go, I got game. Like, I got basketball game. Like, just give me the basketball. And they talk up this big talk. You know what my son-in-law does? He's man a few words. He just takes the basketball, drops it on the floor and goes, let's see what you got. I said, Spencer, how many times does the bragger ever measure up? He goes, never. They never measure up to the brag that they had. But how many of you know Jesus Christ measured up to the brag? I mean, think of what was said about Jesus. He's the Son of God. Do any of you ever brag about that? The Old Testament said he would be born of a virgin. How many of you were born of a virgin? It said he would come and he would live a sinless life. It talked about his death, but it said that the grave couldn't hold him, that he would be raised on the third day. I mean, how many of you know that's bragging more than any teenager has ever bragged in their entire life? And so here he is in the book of Acts. He just died. So these were the first Christians, and Rome was horrible. We think, we look at the Ukraine, the, the The psalm says, why do the nations rage? Do you ever wake up in the morning and think, why does South Africa rage? Do you ever wake up and think, how can I live in a nation so messed up? Well, I have terrible news. That's the way us Americans wake up. I know you see it on television. And I want to tell you something, it's far worse than the worst thing you see on television. The nation's rage. Rome was raging with modern-day problems. I know that we think, you know, that we got really, really new problems. Let me tell you about Rome. First century Rome. Rome in that day. These people that cut, let me tell you about Rome. Rome had issues. They had issues as an empire. One of their issues was women. They hated you. They did not like you as women. And we know through genetic or or gender manipulation that the population of women dropped and there were 140 males to 100 females in Rome. Why? Because of infanticide. When girls were born, they were worthless and they couldn't, didn't have muscles and all that. So we took them and we left them outside to die. That was called infanticide. That was legal. The Greeks who had all in Athens, the world of all the gods and the philosophers of Aristotle and Plato, and they had all the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, all of that was engaged in the Roman Greco world, and and they had the best minds trying to figure out how to build this nation, this empire. And guess what? They thought it was great to kill women as babies. They thought it was great to abort babies. We have the tools of the abortion tools. So you women, if you got an abortion, they didn't know about germs. So many of you died. Many of you, after the abortion, you couldn't have a kid again because of the infection. Marriage was 
not viewed as a good thing. Oh, and back to the women. If you were a wealthy widow, the moment your husband died, even though you were a gazillionaire, you had to, by law, marry a man and give him all of your assets. Now, I could go on and on and on about the economic issues. When the plagues hit, the Greeks didn't think the body, which is another reason you could kill babies, the Greeks had a Gnostic view of presence. What does it mean to be present? We have a little Gnosticism today in the technological world. Is virtual presence the same as incarnated presence? Do you know that was a discussion theologically in the first century church? They thought Jesus was virtual reality. And in the great council, they said, no, 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 no. He was incarnated in human flesh in the image of God. And therefore, he said, bodies are sacred. Just the body. So when the plagues hit, the pagans fled and the Christians rushed in. Because bodies were sacred. Bodies weren't disposable. Hospitals are because of Christians. That's the re- where hospitals came from. The pagans said, no, let him die, even their own mates and children. And they fled. And, and, and so when Rome brought the issues of the world to the Greek gods, they said, oh, just flee. Because bodies are not sacred. Wombs aren't sacred. Women are not made in the image of God equal to men. Women are made less than. See, Rome had issues. Their population was dropping like a rock. The empire was at stake. So here comes this guy named Jesus, the first dude and dudettes that he put together to change the world, to save Rome. And boy, what an idiot idea he had on how to save Rome. I read Acts 2. I read this verse and I get with all the bragging, Jesus, you come to such a messed up world, and that's, that's all you got. That's how you're going to change a nation. And the other day, a guy asked me, he says, I want to do my doctorate degree in how to disciple a nation. I said, begin in the book of Acts, because the entirety of the New Testament is how God discipled Rome from a pagan nation and 300 years later at the edict of Milan when Constantine sat in a room with Licinius and they'd made their political deal they realized 50% of Rome had become Christian how in the world do you ever do that in 300 years but when you crack open your Bible to the book of Acts and I I am going to get to the Bible open your Bibles uh, pull up that first slide the book of Acts 41 and 42, we're going to now see what happened to this first group of people. And this is what it says. So those who received this word, that sermon Peter preached, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And look at this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, I want, to, I want you to see this. When I gave my life to Jesus, I was a professional heathen. And when I said, yes, Lord, and the Spirit of God filled me, my devotions began to change. 
they begin to change. And that it was weird. Things that I wanted to do, I no longer wanted to do. And it wasn't necessarily because of a sermon. Now this word, to be devoted to, it means with great intensity you are going to continue. And embedded in the, in the Greek idea of this word is you have to be devoted because you're going to get a lot of opposition. How many of you know to eat chocolate cake, you don't have to be real devoted? You don't have a lot of opposition to eating chocolate cake. But how many of you know to work out every day, you might need a little bit of devotion. The word presupposes opposition and very difficult times. So remember, as before we get into these four things, these rhythms that the writer noticed, these new devotions to this group of people, before we get into it, remember this. It was going to be really hard. Really, really hard. Now, I know right now all of you brought problems into this building. And I know many times I hear Christians tell me, is the church all that Jesus got? Is that that all you got? Rome is burning, and you want folk... To go sit in a room and listen to the apostles' teaching? While women are being murdered today. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Jesus, the, 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 they're on the border, Jesus. They're going to attack. My marriage is collapsing because I married a demon-possessed person. And you want me first to listen to the apostles' teaching? Well, let's think about that. Remember, Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, and this was the first empire his people would engage. First group, first South Africa. It was the first South Africa. No church. It was burning. He goes, I got this. Continue to burn Rome. I'm going to make them come and sit down and listen to the apostles' teaching because before they can change the world, I have to change them. Because the world is already doing everything you think can work to change the world. Do you realize that? Society is weaving a thick web of all of their ideas about how to save marriages and families in the world. Don't you think like the Prince of Peace might have a little different idea? I remember sitting in there. Let me tell you why it was hard for them to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Because the church, the first century church, I know we think these are modern problems. The first century church said you cannot kill women. They didn't cow down to the things that were outside the door and not preach them because they didn't know what people would think about them. No, no, no. Uh, apostolic preaching preaches and cuts to the heart because it's the antithesis of what lies outside in our culture. And so this is what they said, you can't kill women. Because when we open the Old Testament, we see that male and female was created in the image of God, and that image together tells us who God is in a far clearer way. 
and that is sacred, and those are holy bodies, and that the role of the female is equal to the man, and you will not touch them because that they are made in the image of God. And you mar, listen, you mar that image, and you distort the very picture we have to the world of who God is. So this first group, is it, uh-uh, guess what? When you read the New Testament, you, you see a lot of women there, right? Because the church exploded in female growth. The church started having thousands of babies. Rodney Stark, this, this sociologist, wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And, and scholars are still stunned that in 300 years, Christianity mothballed the Greek gods and sent them to the warehouse. And it was because of apostolic preaching. They weren't dumb and deaf like the statues. They preached what the Word of God said. And every week people came and they were cut to the heart. And what fog they got in their brain when they went out, when they came in and and the preaching happened, it cut to the heart through their self-centeredness. I mean, I don't know about you, but I still have stuff that I have to have. The preaching of God's Word cut me to the heart because I have nothing to say to that thick world if I'm a thin Christian. And neither does the church. That is a failed project of 2,000 years. Sociologists say that cultures weave a thick web that you can feel it when you enter them. The question that lies in the church, do we weave a thick web of kingdom thought? Does the rhythm of gathering and scattering and gathering and scattering and apostles' teaching that cuts us to the heart, does that change who we are at the core? And do we walk out of the building as a people together with a thickness? And listen, a thick church, the thick society is no match for it. No match. A thin church is no match for what lies outside in a real society. And the same is true with a Christian. Jesus was brilliant. Those apostles taught, you're not going to abort. They made it illegal to abort in the church. Babies started popping up. Hey, so if you were Jesus, if you were Jesus, and you were going to save Rome, they had a real problem. They were shrinking. Jesus goes, well, I'll just make the church grow. Fast. I'm going to level that gender population thing. I'm going to really create a clear image of who God is by male and female. We aren't going to let, notice in the New Testament, it says we're not going to let wealthy, wealthy widows sell their stuff just to marry a man. We're going to tell them, you don't have to marry a man. You don't even have to give away your stuff. Just stay rich and enjoy your life and do the kingdom stuff. And by the way, because women are important, we're going to take care of all the impoverished widows. That's what we're going to do. How many think that's a better idea? Now, we wouldn't have done that to save Rome. We'd have probably started a political party. We'd probably have national army. We'd have probably done a lot of other things. But Jesus goes, no, 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 burn Rome. I got this. I got this. And the church exploded. The next one is a head scratcher, the fellowship. 
So he wants you to listen to preaching. So Roman's burning and coming here preaching. The second thing he goes, you have to build a shared life. That's what the word means, a shared life. There's 47 one another's that apply to a local congregation. Do you know that we are, you don't have what it takes to reach your friend for Jesus and just you and them personally live your lives for the rest of your lives without the body of Christ, without a real family. If you're going to the jacked up world like I was to reach me, when I came to uh, Word of Life Church then, I had way too many demons for Russ Austin. They needed a group, like a group to help me. Truckloads of pigs to cast the devil out to kill the pigs. They had to have a lot of men. I had many men in my life. Many men in my life. I had model Christian marriages to look at. Because Renee was a former drug addict and I was a former narcissist that was immoral. And you married the two and guess what you got? Trouble. <laughs> trouble. Double trouble. Married 43 years to that woman. 13 grandkids. It worked. And boy, did I wear out that body of Christ. No, 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 no. If you're going to change Rome, you better have a group of people that model what Rome needs to change. And that is not done through your nice little individual Christianity that doesn't exist anywhere at all of Scripture. If you disconnect yourself, it is over for you. There's, I'm sure you can be a Christian and not be connected, but there is nothing in all of Scripture that captures that concept. And I know you hate the body of Christ because it doesn't nearly measure up to you as a person because you've achieved some spiritual thing that is like way up there and like you never have a real life because you float way too high and they hurt me, hurt you. No, they sin against you. How many of you have ever sinned against a Christian here in this church? Of course you have. How many of you have had to do what, like what the Bible says and forgive that person? How many of you know before we have anything to say to that world, we need to know how to do that? Fellowship. This rhythm of fellowship, the world has to have this or you have nothing to say. If it doesn't work here, forget about it. Just forget Jesus was a stinking genius. Is that all you got? Yeah, that's all he got. Apostles teaching the fellowship. The, this next one is a real head scratcher to me. The breaking of the bride. I mean bread. Yeah. Now, is that weird? Roma's burning. It's his first shot at South Africa. Got a few people together. Listen to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and the what? Food. Archaeologists call food, they say that food has a language. Anthropologists, I'm sorry. Anthropologists say that at a food table, socioeconomics are there. Prejudice is there. In fact, the longest passage that Paul uses in his writings in the New Testament is about 
food. It's about food and how it was dividing the Jew and Gentile world. But let me let you know something. It was also dividing the Roman world because a patrician would never be caught dead with a plebe. The poor and the rich would never mix. No one could come to the food table because in Mediterranean culture, if you broke bread with a person, you would dare not betray them. Which is why John 13 records Jesus turning to Judas at the common meal and saying, you're going to betray me, I want you to betray me now while we're breaking bread. Make it clear. You never betray anyone you eat with. We've had meals, we've broken bread. You betray me in the mealtime. So it will be the ultimate betrayal. If you were going to get Rome together, you had to get them together at a meal. If you just wanted to get Jew and Gentile together, oh yeah, just have pork. When I go, I'm in the Arabic world all the time and there's no pork. They got turkey, I guess turkeys are okay. They got all kinds of stuff, but no pork. You see, I know it's not the way you would have done it. I know it's not the way I would have done it, but do this. Next time you hate somebody in your church, the skin color, their dance moves, or whatever it is that offends you, why don't you take them to a meal and break bread with your enemies and feel it. Just feel it. Feel the power of that. Do you know in the first century synagogues, when Jesus was walking around, all the synagogues had fellowship halls. I know we think this is a, no, no, no. Breaking of bread is intrinsic to changing Rome and South Africa. I sat with a mass murderer ambassador in Washington, D.C., in his home, breaking bread. I said, why are you killing us? We broke bread for three hours with his family and met all of his children. I said, I think you and your wife had never been in a Christian church. I said, I think you and your wife need to get on a plane and fly to Midland, Texas. Be with me in my own town. Meet the people that you're killing and stand up in our church and address them and we want to pray for you. Guess what? They did that. We broke bread together. The power of a meal. At the end of these meals, they would have communion. Yeah. Jesus at the center of that. What a brilliant idea, Jesus. No army, no political party, no marriage counselor, no psychologist, no therapist, no drugs, although we like drugs. No drugs. They had nothing. This is what Jesus said. And finally, the prayers. The prayers. I love the, old, the, the Psalms, especially the complaint Psalms or the, you know, the Psalms. And I'm sorry I'm cutting this. Probably took longer to cut it than I would if I had regularly just preached it. But the prayers. I mean, think about it. The prayers. In the Psalms, there's this thing called an invocation. 
It begins like this. Oh, God, how many of you ever prayed an invocation? How many of you ever prayed an invocation? That's all you need to start the invocation is, oh, God. And all you're saying is, oh, God, this is horrible. Intervene now and change that wicked woman. I mean, intervene now and, and help me with my problem. How many of you ever changed? Have you, have, you, have you prayed an invocative prayer? He wanted the embodiment of that group to understand this. Bringing the kingdom to the world is not hard. It's impossible. It is far worse than hard. It's impossible. Building the kind of marriage that Jesus wants us to have is not hard. It's impossible. Being a godly man in the middle of a board meeting where they're making a moral or ethical mistake and speaking up is not hard. It's impossible because what you're doing is you're speaking truth that only Jesus can pull the scales away from their eyes and they get it. Oh, God should be the common part of who we are. I want to pray for you right now as we exit. And I'm sorry, Jonathan, I took so long. I preached this into tomorrow. <laughs> Philip will never have me back. Let's stand. The world, please stand. A week, please hear me. The church was more in Rome than these four things. Had a power outage. But the church was never less than that. The church was never less than that. That made up the foundation of anything that they did. And for 315 years, Satan's last gasp was Diocletian in his reign of terror right before the Edict of Milan was signed. Constantine's dad, Constantinius, was stealing buildings, burning them to the ground, and taking church land. Oh, and if you ever hear that buildings were Constantine's idea, long before him there were buildings. Diocletian was just killing them, but Constantinius said, no, I don't want to kill them, I'm just going to take all their stuff. Keep them from publicly worshiping. then steps in Constantine and he goes, you know what? The truth is, this is quoting their God. It's the most powerful God in all of Rome. Their God is. And he was not a believer. Thin Christianity in your soul is no match for what lies in building a great marriage, raising a phenomenal family, being in a fellowship, breaking bread with your enemies, invoking God into every impossible crisis that life brings. I pray today you would decide. You would decide that you will not accept a veiled thin Christianity in your soul and that's not legalism conversion is all Jesus' job 
All we got to do is respond. Jesus, I pray today in this church that when they walk out of this room and they engage, equip, establish, and empower, that Jesus, there would be a thickness of soul that is weaved. Jesus, this church would continue to disciple a nation. In Jesus' name, amen.